I think about my day in the last 24 hours and the next 24 hours. Like that is the scope of my entire life. Hi, I'm Kenny McDonald, and welcome to Doc This, a podcast where we get inside the minds and creative processes of Ryerson's documentary media graduate students. Today we have an exciting first episode for you with our dear friend, a man of many talents, Daniel Schrempf, who is currently investigating how the disappearance of photographs as physical objects can influence an individual's understanding of themselves. He had a conversation with Sarah Wiley. Uh, hi, I'm Sarah Wiley. And Danny Fisher. And I'm Danny Fisher. In beautiful B23, our doc media grad lab, tucked away in the depths of downtown Toronto. Let's have a listen. Guess we'll just dive right in. We wanted to ask you about your master's research that you're working on uh, here in the program and a little bit about uh, the project that you're going to be working on and presenting next year. The short version is I'm just wanting to interrogate the changes in the idea of the family album as we were moving from like 20 years ago, you had something that was very physical, it was in your house, it, um, you didn't take nearly as many photos because it was film and you had to go to Walmart to print them off. And um, Just noticing that I, I might be in the crop of um, people, like in the last generation of people who have physical albums of them as kids and everyone else moving on is that record stored on a cell phone somewhere. Just thousands and thousands of photos. So I'm just trying to investigate like the changes and how that affects how you see yourself, how that affects your memory, and just kind of dive into those questions. Because it is something that is so compulsively collected by people. My dad was big into like VHS, like um, compact VHS, so we have tons and tons of stuff like that that I've scanned and we have. So I want to talk about how they documented us as kids. I want to talk with my other two sisters about their experience. Um, I want to talk with, and this is kind of the audio interview, is I, I would like to talk with my, I'm quite close with both my grandmas, and they are, um, again, like talking about like, wh at what point did you get a camera? And my, my one grandma has mentioned a couple times that I've never got into it the way I've wanted to about her getting a, a brownie and, uh, and just what that was like to see herself at it, like in pictures and to start collect them, collecting them. And I mean, she herself has like this incredible archive as well. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I think on that note, kind of in the room, you can feel a kind of connection to what you're saying and a kind of empathy towards your positions on this. But there might be people, say, outside of doc artist spaces who might say, we're being too nostalgic, uh, mm. or we're fetishizing tactility, um, you know, and, and you know, it, it's very particular to a time because is anyone going to fetishize the iPhone 7 in yeah. 20 years or something like that? So I guess I'm curious how you negotiate that, sort of a, a culture which often meets some of these conversations. There's often an openness to this conversation in some corners, but in other corners a sense of you're being nostalgic, you're fetishizing, you're on and on. Right, yeah. Maybe this, maybe this illustration can help, but like I've always had a problem with biopics. It's like this, I'm going to like sidestep the question a little bit. I've always had a problem with biopics a little bit because I feel like it's just such, it's evidence of the fact that people don't know what they want. 
because I watched Itanya and Itanya did like really interesting stuff in terms of like breaking the fourth wall and is it dog, is it fiction? Like it's kind of like it is an interview setting, but it's not with the original person. Like it's they've done some interesting things, but I found for all the good stuff it did at the end of it, I was far more interested in seeing the archival footage. And it's like, oh, they did a great casting job, right? And you kind of know the story already. And so you, you know where it's going to end up. So there's no surprise. It's not like, oh, wow, like that's who did it. Wow, amazing. I, I was more, and maybe this is a personal thing I'm projecting onto everybody, but it was the archive stuff that was interesting to me. So at the end of it, it's like, I, I would have just liked to see a well-made doc, you know? But you need the biopic because then you can say Margot Robbie at the top of it and people will pay money. But if it's just Tanya Harding talking about Tanya Harding, people are kind of like, mm, we'll see. And so it, in, in general, and this is not to say they're bad, but my feeling on biopics is you're just leveraging, you're just telling an audience, oh, you, you, you like these things, you've seen them before, and it might be interesting for you to go see again, but then we're going to like shoehorn in a, a, an interesting new story to whatever, right? So in what I'm trying to do, and, and for all this kind of getting back to the question of talking about like nostalgia and how that's maybe seems a little floaty and tough to pin down, but that's what, that's what we're chasing through a lot of different channels anyway. We're kind of in a place where there are, we're, we're putting our photos and images up. It's not always completely private, in many cases not at all private. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you understand privacy and, and how you were you saw this clearly as something interesting and something to be examined in your in your MRP. That is a huge thing, privacy and social media, right? So I think it's, at, at this point right now, I don't know how I'm going to address it, but I feel like it's something that's more or less unavoidable. Like, it is a conversation that's going to happen. Well, it's like, I feel like I'm willing to sacrifice privacy in the hopes that, like, Instagram will help me archive things that I know are going to be deleted off my phone and then I don't know where they're going to go afterwards. Hopefully I'll remember to back them up. But now, whenever I want to show someone a photo, I'm just like, oh, thank God it's on my Instagram, so I can just quickly right. show it to them. And so I, I find, personally, that's where my archive is all going online, held by these huge corporate entities who could easily shut down or delete my account at any day, which is quite scary. Um, so I'm curious what, I guess, for you, what do you think the future of the Family Archive will be? Will there be, like, people helping us curate it? Will we have curatorial assistants or apps doing this for us? How are we going to organize this, inf this massive information of nothing or of, of something? Like it, it is so unpredictable. So I don't think I have any sort of predictions, but I think you can kind of count on human laziness. It, when it comes to like, am I going to make supper or am I going to like do some scrapbooking tonight? Like there's an obvious answer to that question. So it's, maybe laziness is the wrong word, but it's not the taking of images. That's a priority. The archiving isn't, right? And in that sense, the, the taking is all, like that's where a good chunk of the value is because most of the time, it's not revisited over and over again. But I think about my day, and I said this before, in the last 24 hours and the next 24 hours. Like that is the scope of my entire life. And when you get launched back into something that was in like 1990, all of a sudden your periphery just gets stretched right out. And it's, I mean, it's humbling in a lot of ways. You're like, oh right, I'm still that. Still that, like I'm the same whatever was going on. But you get a perspective on your own life when you, you stretch it out like that. And I think how the medium affects that peripheral vision that you can gain on yourself, inso insofar as it can do that, that's interesting. Because if, if you have less of that, if you have less of that expansion and that capability of understanding your whole life in a broader scope, 
I think that has an impact. I think you touched on something interesting too, this idea of like, it's sentimentality and these micro histories are trivial, but of course they're not. Like they're, yeah. that's, this is what I feel like what you're kind of getting at is that the value of these micro histories and understanding them. And I think we need to challenge this idea that sentimentality isn't valuable because we're talking about the way we conceive of ourselves as a family unit and our, and our identities and how that's all, that's all changing. Like you said, like everything is up for grabs when I'm putting my life up on an Instagram story every day. I guess I'm curious kind of to lead you into some of the influences and films you're watching that are kind of getting you going and excited. Are there any artists that you're like specifically turning to as a, for reference or inspiration? A lot of times I have like anti-influences like I'll see something and be like, oh, either like in an angry state of, oh, that's so terrible. I hope I never make something that bad. Or, oh, that's been done, so that's off limits. But as far as influences go, like recently, as soon as I allowed myself to think, oh, maybe I can make a film. Maybe I could, or do at least like a time-based thing that's kind of like a film. I started going through... Uh, yeah, like a lot of Errol Morris's stuff, just because his interview style is very, very stylized, especially when you see what he's doing now with like he's intercutting audio on top of like a, a head that's not speaking, right? Like he's, or um, I noticed in, in Mr. Death last night, like he's throwing in blank frames like halfway through interviews. And then the, so there's this, like he's almost adding punctuation. He's, he's a very obvious influence on on what you're seeing and what you're hearing as an audience. And kind of around the discussion of like, oh, if you highly stylize something that it sort of detracts from maybe the authenticity or the perceived value and just me getting maybe a little bit indignant at that of like, no, if, I mean, if you have the capability of explaining something better, then you almost have a right to explain something better. And if design can help and if like heavy art direction is useful, then, then why? then why not? Is this Pearson? <laughs> this guy. This guy. This, his mom's calling. His mom's calling? Oh, we should put Pearson's mom on. Oh, that would be so In the end, we let the phone go to voicemail, but more from Pearson later. Let's get back to Danny and Sarah's conversation with Daniel. Um... Uh, regarding the, I guess the act of taking a photo versus the act of like revisiting a photo, looking at a photo, trying to archive it, figure figure out where it belongs in your own like personal narrative or history, or trying to show it to someone else. What is there one that you prefer more than the other? Do you, or like well, how, I guess how do you approach it? I mean that might just be a personal thing, but I mean pretty well as soon as I take a photo, I'm done with it. Like that's. And, and maybe that's why I don't really particularly like galleries. Again, yeah, I was walking down here today, and my, I mean, I always have my camera with me. But it was like, I think I took pictures of someone's blinds. I'm not going to use... And kept going. <laughs> and then and it just kept, and kept going. And it was interesting. And I'm like, oh, those, those, like, I could maybe use those colors for something. But I was kind of, I was kind of done with that. You know, and I mean, especially when it comes to the family archive. I think it's a sense of security for your, like for your own self. If you weren't doing, I guess not photography, but working in documentary media, all of the disciplines that you're working on right now, what would you be doing? Oh, I don't know. Um, 
Well, no, I mean, I kind of know. I think I, because I, and this might just be another like pocket that I just want to know about, but over the Christmas break, I was, I, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know why I got into this mood one day, but I'm just like, oh, what am I doing out in ter- Toronto? Like, I'm such a fraud. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I'm not going to make any money in this. Like, I, I don't have the capacity to convince anybody that my, what I'm making is worthwhile. So I kind of just sat in that pit for a little bit. And then it occurred to me that it's like, I just need to trade. Like, I just need to, and it was an idea that popped into my head that day and still kind of comes back, but it's like, if for whatever reason I had to leave Doc Media and had to come up with something else, like, oh, I think I would go into welding. I think I'd really like it, you know? There's, I mean, and there's this section in regarding the pain of others where um, Sontag talks about, like, um, photography being uh, this, this weird medium, and it's equally considered fine art, but you can't really get better at it. And so much of what's good about photography relies on luck and chance. And so the attractiveness of something like that, like a trade, like you get paid like a unionized wage to show up and like glue metal together. I know welding very well. <laughs> but there's something so like just, it is what it is, and there's, there, you don't have to argue it at all. Like when I'm talking about projects, maybe this fits in really well. The most difficult part of the project is rationalizing it to yourself. Welding, it's like, I made something. There was like a bunch of metal in the shop, and now it's something else, and it's useful. And like that uncomplicated nature, there's a lot of times where that's incredibly, incredibly attractive. And maybe that is what forces me into different fields all the time in art, is like, I can't find it here. I got to do something practical. And so then coming back to the MRP, I think that's why I want to make a film. Super interesting. Well, if you ever make some nonfiction work out of welding or yeah. like focusing on the welding trade, I think that would be very interesting. Yeah. You ever see this movie Flashdance? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of welding in that one. <laughs> that pretty much wraps up our first ever episode of Doc This. But before we go, here's Pearson Ripley with your 60-second Doc review. Hi, this is Pearson Ripley with your 60-second documentary review. Wormwood is a documentary miniseries, directed by Errol Morris and released on Netflix, which describes the mysterious supposed suicide of military scientist and CIA employee Frank Olson, who had been working in a laboratory developing chemical weapons. Nine days after Olson has slipped LSD during an MKUltra experiment without his knowledge, he falls to his death from a hotel window. The film is a deluge of interviews, mostly featuring Olson's son, highly cinematic and very predictably Netflix reenactments, as well as archival material. As one may predict from Morris's highly stylized filmic portfolio, he takes it a step further to do justice to the confounding and psychedelic subject matter. The framing and camera positions of the interviews elicit voyeuristic feelings of government interrogation and use split-screen animation and sound design to offer the viewer the same feelings of bewilderment felt by the interviewee. Morris even gives the finger to the documentary interview canon by inviting a clock into the mise-en-scene whose hands never once move. The tripped-out animations and title sequences are a good time as well. Basically, the whole thing is fun to look at. Netflix docs are homogenous, I know, but having old Errol in the cockpit really does this one a favor. And you even get to see him face off against Seymour Hersh. What a treat. Add that to psychedelic CIA conspiracies? I mean, what more can you ask for? Doc This is hosted by Danny Fisher and Sarah Wiley. With thanks to Ryerson Image Arts and the MFA Doc Media Program, This episode's guest was Daniel Schrempf. The doc review was written and performed by Pearson Ripley. 
Dog This is edited and produced by John Verhaven and myself, Kenny McDonald. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.